So the reading today is from 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse, starting at verse 3. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so this morning we're thinking about being living stones being built into a spiritual house. And to reflect on that, a couple of cameos. When I started as a curate right way back in 1985, which was a very long time ago, at a place called Castle Hill in Sydney, one of the first things that I participated in was going to a service during the week to the old historic St Paul's Castle Hill. It was a um, big church that was uh, on the main old road that went into out of the to the Castle Hill district, uh, one of the oldest buildings uh, in the area, but it had been subject to a significant fire and was a burnt-out shell. And we had a service of deconsecration, which is a very quaint Anglican custom where you secularise the building because it was being sold and turned into a funeral parlour uh, and a brand-new church had been built somewhere else. So here we were... Myself, a bishop, an archdeacon, I was just a mere humble curate, and we stood in this blackened shell of a building, and we went through this little service where it was secularized and no longer set aside for contemporary worship. An experience like that does ask, raise a lot of questions, don't you think? So what is the church? What's the church building? Uh, what's the point of the places that we meet in? Uh, and what is the point, and how do we maintain these facilities. I mean, this building here, it goes back to 1883 uh, and is a magnificent building, but the issue of maintaining it is a huge challenge for every generation, including ours. On the other hand, if you're thinking about the church and what the church is there for, one of the most inspiring things that happened last year was at St Thomas's in North, uh, in Burwood. Uh, they'd done a food drive every year, which they had to reconfigure because they couldn't go out and collect food in the community as they had traditionally done. So they started making food available on Saturday mornings for international students. As we probably know, during the extended lockdowns last year, the groups, one of the groups most impacted by all of that were international students. And it became an incredible phenomena. So Karen and I went down a few times and dropped off food because uh, we were at that stage living in Mont Albert and were just within the five case to get there. And, you know, there'd be a queue of students out through the car park, around the bend with these little bags that they got from the church and a pile of people in the church who had socially distanced but in a really safe and helpful way were collected food, had it delivered 
and we're distributing to that food. That's the church in action, isn't it? That's an incredibly, I think, palpable vision of the church, not as a building, but the church as a visible community doing something tangible for the sake of others. On the other hand, as another contrast, uh, Karen and I, which you may have done before, went to Barcelona a number of years ago and went to the Sagrada Familia, which is an amazing church building that is still being built. I don't know if anybody's been there or not, but when you go there, it's like absolute chaos outside. There's buses everywhere and there's hundreds of tour groups uh, and it's pandemonium. And you kind of think, what's this going to be like going into this building? But it's an incredibly awe-inspiring building. And when people literally went inside, they just went silent. It was, it was kind of, they were awestruck by the majesty of this particular unique uh, building, which does say that churches and church buildings as sacred space do have some significance and can impact people profoundly. So three different contrasts uh, in terms of three different stories, and there are many others that I could have told. As an aside, when uh, you go to the Sagrada Familia, they have an area set aside where you can go and pray privately. And there was this very grumpy person who was managing the thousands of tourists who were trying to pour through the building, well, tens of thousands probably, and I tried to get into the area where you could pray, and she wouldn't let me in. Um, so eventually I had to pull the, well, I'm a bishop card, and uh, she said, oh, oh sorry, you know, <laughs> and let me go in and uh, pray in the area where you're allowed to pray. Well, today, uh, Peter was, as we've discussed a few weeks ago, Peter was addressing a group, uh, several groups of tiny, fragmented Christian communities scattered in what is modern-day Turkey. Uh, and in that context, these people had an incredible sense of vulnerability about who they were and what it was to be the people of God. They were scattered, they were persecuted, they, were, they had very little to cling to, they had no buildings, they didn't have the scriptures, they didn't have, in a sense, a formalized leadership structure. They were vulnerable, fragmented, tiny, uh, and under acute pressure. And yet they have, as we've thought about in Peter already, an incredible sense of hope, as Peter reinforces it in the Lord Jesus Christ, a living hope based on the fact that Christ died, he rose again, and they've been set apart to live for him and to live in the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. And Peter describes them in incredibly exalted terms, these scattered, fragile, tiny little remnants of Christian communities when he talks about them here in 1 Peter. He says, as for you, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by, by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, these tiny, fragmented, vulnerable groups are being described in incredibly exalted terms. Now, Peter's reflecting in his language on the temple in Jerusalem. And in that era, if you were a true blue Jew, you would have gone off to the temple in Jerusalem once a year to uh, make sacrifice and to worship and acknowledge the Lord. Peter is probably writing in a context now where that temple has been destroyed in AD 70, and so there was no great magnificent temple to go back to if you had a Jewish heritage. But he's drawing on Jewish and temple imagery to describe them as the people of God. So he says that they should, as they come to him, the living stone, the cornerstone, a stone that had been rejected by people but actually acceptable to God, they themselves are being built into a spiritual house 
as living stones themselves. Now, it's kind of hard to imagine how they would have reacted to these incredibly exalted thoughts about themselves, don't you think? Given the sense of vulnerability they must have had and how seemingly obscure and despised they were as communities. So Peter's talking about the fact that you also are like living stones. We're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices, and to do things that will be acceptable to God through in Jesus Christ. It's an amazing vision. And what he's saying here is that those scattered communities way back in the first Christian century and us today are living stones being built into a spiritual house. And there's a whole lot of implications about this incredible image, this temple imagery that Peter is using here. We ourselves are living stones. Uh, Now, unlike in the Old Testament, this isn't about a building. It's about a people. And it's about a people who have come to know Christ, who have drawn near to him, who have responded to him, who have actually built their life based on being trusting in him on his death and resurrection, who are now being built into this community of people who together are spiritual stones, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to the Lord. And that means each and every person who's a member of the body of Christ, who's given their life to Christ and is seeking to follow him, is a spiritual stone. And every person on any age or any ethnic background or any sort of gender is a part of this community because we're acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And each and every, therefore, every one of us has a part to play. As Peter puts it, we're to be a holy priesthood, set apart to serve the Lord, offering our lives as spiritual sacrifices and serving God in all of our life as we seek to live out our faith day in and day out in the various contexts where God has placed us, offering praise and acknowledgement to him. It's temple language, it's language of worship, but it's also language that gives the sense of being lived out, not just when we come to church, but in all of our lives. And amazingly, our humble actions, we're told, are acceptable to God. That's pretty amazing, don't you think, that our humble actions seemingly insignificant in many ways, are acceptable to God because of what Christ has done for us. Now, this radical new conception of faith and church can be expressed anywhere and in any place. It's not culture-bound, and that means that there's virtually nowhere on the planet where you can go without finding a gathering of God's people. Uh, Karen and I had the privilege of being in Tanzania about 10 or 12 years ago, Uh, And we went with a friend to a village church on a Sunday where they had the shell of a building, but it had never been finished, with an incredibly poor group of people gathering in the shell of a church building. Uh, And it was a very beautiful experience, wasn't it? Uh, And they were incredibly poor, but they offered us a lovely meal after because that was part of being hospitable. That's the church of God, isn't it? In all of its diversity. It doesn't have to be a grand, imposing building. It can be in any place, at any time, with any group of people. Uh, It could be great and impressive, but it could also be seemingly tiny and insignificant. A number of years ago, I was at an international conference and I was in a queue for a meal and there was this lady standing next to me and I asked her where she was from and she said she was from Mauritania. Uh, I had to confess my ignorance and say I didn't know where Mauritania was. I'd heard of it, but I didn't know where it was and discovered it's below Morocco. Uh, And I discovered that she was a lone missionary in Mauritania, which is a totally Muslim country, 
ministering to isolated Christian communities and groups in the country of Mauritania. Pretty amazing, don't you think? Uh, I mean, I'd never heard of the concept of a lone missionary before, but, and I'd never heard of Mauritania before. But here she was ministering to very, very tiny, scattered, vulnerable communities, gathering to honor Christ, to being spiritual temples, offering spiritual sacrifices to the Lord. Now, the people that Peter wrote to must have been gobsmacked at this incredible description of themselves. And I wonder whether we're equally gobsmacked at the thought that we ourselves are a spiritual temple offering spiritual sacrifices unto the Lord that are acceptable to him because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that's a thing that we can all participate in and we can all be a part of. To add to it, Peter says in verses 9 and 10 that these people, these people scattered across modern-day Turkey and us here gathered in Hawthorne this morning are a chosen people, chosen by God to be his particular special people. A royal priesthood chosen to act on God's behalf. A priest is meant to be a bridge between God and others and God has placed each of you in all sorts of locations, in all sorts of areas and spheres of influence in our community in order to be a bridge to others. That's part of how mission happens in God's world, through God's people scattered in all sorts of places in the course of each and every week. A holy nation, as we reflected on last week, people who are seeking to live differently as we seek to honour God in the way that we seek to choose to live our lives. And God's special possession, chosen to be his people, living set apart in order to honour him and to serve him together. And Peter says that the reason we do this is to declare the praises of him who has brought us out of darkness into his marvellous light. So once we weren't a people, but now we are, and once we hadn't received mercy, he says, but now, in fact, we have received the mercy of God. So what do you think might be the implications of all of this for people like us living in Melbourne in 2021? Well, in one sense, we're not like we used to be, uh, and it would be easy to have a sense of lament about the state of the church in Australia. And there would be many things that you could lament about if you wanted to. Uh, It's kind of interesting if you come here to some columns and you think about the streetscape of the huge churches that are around about and what that represented from the era in which they were built. Clearly in that era, like hundreds of people, thousands of people went to church Uh, I was informed yesterday that they rerouted the tram in Glen Ferry Road to come to St. Columns so people could come to church or where's... Where is Malcolm? He seems to have disappeared. Uh, He told me it was to keep the papers and stop them going to the Catholic Church, but I'm not sure whether that's accurate or not. But just think about the the situation here. I mean, thousands of people would have been going to church. It would have been a very awesome thing to live in that era. But at the same time, you could reflect on all that and you could actually be despondent if you wanted to, but the church these days is far more ethnically diverse. It reflects the nations of the earth across the course of our diocese and many other churches besides that, gathered in all sorts of places and all sorts of ways. In my previous situation, I used to go every year to the Arab Anglican Church in Coburg, and it's an amazing story. So if you go up to Coburg, right near Pentridge Jail, there's a beautiful bluestone church that had declined to the point where they had less than six parishioners. The building was overgrown, the vicarage was abandoned, and it was an incredibly sad sight. 
If you were to be, we were to translate ourselves there this morning, you'd find a church that's full of people from seven or eight different Arab nations, all of whom would normally be fighting each other in their context, happily worshipping the Lord and serving the Lord together because an incredible work of God has gone into that place as these Arab people have been converted uh, and have come to faith under a guy called Faraj Hanna, who's an amazing guy from Egypt who's leading that church. That reflects a lot of what's kind of happened just in that simple story in terms of what's going on in the church in many places in our city. So in one sense, we could lament previous eras that have passed, but the reality is we have to live and minister and serve and be living stones in a living temple in the context where God has placed us, and that is today. But on the, in one sense, there's increasing marginalization of faith, and the church uh, in many ways seems like it's up against it in our context, and again, there's much that one could say about that topic. But on the other hand, we still enjoy incredible freedom, do we not? No one's putting any inhibitions in our way from meeting together, and we still largely are given a degree of respect within our community and a place in our community. Uh, It may not be what it used to be, but it's still there, Uh, and there are amazing opportunities because of that. For you here at St. Columns, I think one of the really interesting things that's happening at present is the re-emergence of some young adults who have previously been connected with this church and have never really lost that connection but had stopped coming to church and through what's happening in the cafe, uh, what will become twice a month, are reconnecting with this church but trying to find new ways to do it. And again, that's kind of reflective of a bigger story, isn't it, in terms of what needs to be going on and is going on in terms of faith and church today. Now, in one sense, churches like St. Columns have much going for them, amazing facilities. You're directly across the road from a major uh, university. You're in a context which is increasingly urbanised, with 60% of people living in Hawthorne living in apartments uh, alongside of the people living in leafy streets in historic homes. And yet there's much to do. There's great new work to begin. And you could suggest that perhaps you need a new beginning, Uh, which is part of what's going on through this phase of interregnum. Now, on the one hand, people are close to the gospel and seemingly have dismissed the gospel before they've even thought about it. Isn't that how it often seems in our context uh, these days? And yet at the same time, people are looking for hope, looking for community and looking for help because that's the practical reality because there is a desperate sense of despair amongst many people. And again, so in the midst of that complexity, there are possibilities and potential. It's my view that uh, these days every church that has the capacity ought to have a community care arm as part of who they are and what they do. Uh, And as much as uh, much of community care has been professionalised, we've got to actually indigenise that again and make it local and real. And that's part of what I think could be the future, not the total future, but part of the future for you as a church. Now, on the one hand, we're scattered most of the time, and on the other hand, we're presented here, we're, we're, given, we're, present, we're represented rather in many places as these priests who are giving, living, being living sacrifices, serving the Lord, as we seek to declare his praises amongst many people. Uh, as a staff exercise in my time at St. Hilary's, we went off one Monday to work with various parishioners. So we all had to find a parishioner that we went to work with, uh, we went off to the workforce and hung around in the workforce and tried to make ourselves useful on the, in the morning. Uh, and then we had lunch with the parishioner and then we convened 
and had a staff conference and debriefed about our experience. And I'll never forget, forget, forget I went off to a guy, work with a guy called Brian who got me a job to do, which I sort of attempted to do in the morning. Uh, he always went out at 10.30 every day for coffee with a group of his mates. Uh, so he, I strung along and we had a very interesting conversation over lunch, uh, over morning tea rather, and then we, they went back to work and it was an interesting encounter. But what it did kind of illustrate for me personally was that this guy, Brian, was someone that the, the people he hung out with respected and uh, enjoyed being with. He wasn't in any way embarrassed having his vicar tag along with him, and he was very happy for us to join in. That person is a living representative of Christ in that context, and that's part of how God's mission is being expressed in all sorts of places, in all sorts of ways, as we live out our faith and this vision today. Well, God has a big vision for his church. The scattered remnants of small communities in Anatolia have this big vision of being living stones, being spirit, offering spiritual sacrifices, being built together to honour and serve the Lord. And we here at St. Columns have this big vision that God has for us to be living stones, being built into a spiritual house to offer spiritual sacrifices, being God's priests in God's world as we seek to declare his praises amongst the, God, the people that God has connect, connected us with. Well, I wonder whether we still have that sense of God's vision for who we are and what we can be and what we can become. Because we need to cling to that vision because that's God's vision for us and we need to keep make, working hard to make it a reality. Now, I did say, I think, that when I preached two weeks ago that every church is one generation away from extinction. So that has to keep being worked at. You can never rest on your laurels and you can never think that you've somehow arrived we have to keep investing in what it means to be living stones, offering spiritual sacrifices to the Lord, offering praises and acknowledgement to him as we are a spiritual house together. Amen.